Hello and welcome to the Paleo Baby Podcast. As usual, I'm Julie Kelly and today I'm very excited to be joined by Diana Rogers who I followed for a long time over on her site Sustainable Dish and now she's doing all kinds of wonderful things from several podcasts <laughs> to writing really beautiful books and continuing to really produce a really beautiful blog over at Sustainable Dish. So welcome Diana. I'm really excited to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> so for, for people that, you know, I don't need you to do the whole story because I think people mm -hmm. should definitely go to your site and, and, and read all about you if they don't know who you are, because um, you've been at this for a while now. And, um, you know, you're really good friends with Rob Wolf, who many know as the, the godfather of paleo. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, you've been around a long time in this in this world. So you've got lots of, of knowledge to drop. So I don't want to spend a ton of time doing all the background stuff. But um uh -huh. You know, give us an idea of kind of how, you know, you started in this and, you know, you've got this background, your, your husband has a background in farming, you guys are, you have a farm together. So your connection with food and farming is probably much deeper than a lot of people who find paleo and are really just at it for, you know, health purposes or, mm -hmm. you know, fixing a disease or a disease state, but you also have celiac disease. So, mm -hmm. you know, you've had this kind of interesting relationship with with your food and where it comes from and your health and then also the health of your family and then where it's brought you to what you're studying in terms of being a nutritional therapy practitioner and now getting your RD. Um, from your standpoint, where are we with paleo and are we going in the right direction? Um, you know, what's kind of the the state of the union of the of the paleo community, <laughs> if you will? <laughs> That's funny. I was actually on the Paleo State of the Union panel um, <laughs> at Paleo FX last year with Chris Kresser and Dallas Hartwig mm -hmm. and Rob and me and um, oh, I feel like I'm forgetting Mark Sisson. Mm. Um, so that was um, kind of interesting to be on that panel with all those guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and so you know, I think. I think people are going in a lot of different directions. Um, so, you know, Chris Kresser is focusing more on um, teaching other practitioners how to be, you know, in line with the ancestral health uh, movement. And Mark's got, uh, you know, his um, brands that he's working on and, and lots of other, um, like, more commercial ventures. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, Dallas is going off in, a, in, in his own direction with um, more, like, lifestyle and being unplugged. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Rob, uh, and I have really been just banging our heads against the wall trying to get people more interested in sustainability issues, but I think it's taking hold. Um, I'd like to think it's taking hold and mm -hmm. it's been really exciting, um, to, you know, see some of the organizations like the Savory Institute that are, uh, talking about the importance of, you know, building good soil and how herbivores can do that. And of course we're like, yay, herbivores, right. we like to eat them. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Um, so, um, and it's funny cause I, I mentioned to you before, um, we got on the call that, you know, I've been like talking all day yeah. <laughs> on all these different podcasts that I've been doing today. And, uh, one of the, one of the calls I was on was actually with some Germans, um, who are putting together a paleo convention in Berlin in August. And they were telling me that, um, you know, over in Germany, um, veganism is really huge and, wow. um, and they've invited me to come and speak at their convention just to kind of give people a little more ammunition mm. when it comes to, you know, feeling like meat is a, is an okay thing to eat for sustainability reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's really, um, where I've been focusing my energy and, and all my talks this year are sort of going to be focused around, um, around that. And I, right. I just got back from, uh, New Zealand at the, um, AHS conference where I was, that was the whole focus of my talk was, you know, why herbivores are not only, you know, ideal for human nutrition, as we know mm -hmm. in the paleo community, but also, um, they're excellent for the environment. Right. So for, for people who don't really, you know, haven't checked into this conversation yet, what it, I mean, cause I guess that's the biggest question that I always get is, you know, for people that are coming to me and, you know, as a, as a nutrition consultant, that's one of the main, like one of my main jobs is converting vegetarians <laughs> back yeah. to eating meat. Right. So that's, mm -hmm. but, but sometimes, you know, that is part of their, their argument is I, I don't feel that it's sustainable for the environment or, you know, even if they're not, you know, bleeding heart, just, you know, um, animal rights kind of people, they're re really, you know, very stuck on the idea that you, there's no way to sustainably eat meat. Um, 
So what do you, what do you say to those people that are, 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 are still there in that, in that world? Yeah. Well, I mean, I try really hard not to engage with people who feel like it's a religious decision Mm -hmm. on their end. Um, and, and religion not meaning, you know, only like, you know, Hindu or something like that. (laughs) Exactly. But but also just, you know, have such, uh, an emotional, um, illogical, uh, disconnection from natural systems, um, Mm -hmm. because it's just, you're not going to win. Um, so, um, although I did just write a post that'll probably be live when this show goes live on Rob's site, um, as a, um, retort to a blog post that, um, was just put out by outside magazine Mm. written by a vegan on why paleo people need to be clubbed Mm. (laughs) for their choices of eating meat. So I kind of outline very specifically how, um, you know, red meat is is not the devil, and really, you know, we need to be looking at processed food right. is is really the biggest issue here, not red meat. So, I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, the WHO uh, came out with the red meat is cancer, so that was a lot of um, more ammunition for the anti-red meat people mm-hmm. um, in addition to the environmental argument. But really, when you look at responsibly, you know, managed herds of cattle, um, they improve soil quality. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you have a field that's just allowed to lay fallow, um, that grass is not stimulated to grow because nothing's eating it. Mm-hmm. Um, if the grass just sort of lays down and dies and turns brown, um, it's not it's not improving the soil. Um, you need cow poop. You mm-hmm. need or or any herbivore poop, any animal poop, Mm -hmm. um, to really help build the microbiome of the soil. If the soil is nice and rich and full of lots of organic matter, it also helps retain water better. So it makes it more drought resistant. Um, When you look at monocropping, um, you know, a grain intensive agriculture that's, you know, miles and miles wide of farmland of, you know, just one type of crop like wheat or soy, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's not... Um, improving the soil that's right. that's you know just drawing away from the soil and you're you're using fossil fuels to fertilize it is is not um, it's it's not a natural system right um, so a truly sustainable farm is really one that incorporates um, animals and uh, vegetables into its um, production so that you've got both going on um, so on our farm, we have, um, we're mostly a vegetable farm. We have a vegetable CSA, um, outside of Boston Mm -hmm. and, um, but we also raise animals and, uh, the animals go through like it's winter right now. Um, the, the mobile chickens are right in the middle of one of our fields, kind of eating up all the, um, spent vegetable matter that's in the fields. They're pooping on the soil. They're, they're improving the soil while getting their nutrition at the same time. And then their eggs are going to be a lot healthier for us to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, We also raise um, goats and sheep and, um, and graze them through the fields when we're not growing vegetables as well. Well, that's great. So where does, I mean, why is the nutrition community so silent and on all of this? I mean, do you think that it's lack of of education or they just are focused on kind of having bigger fish to fry. I'm, I mean, cause I see the head beating on the wall thing, you know, because this is like, you know, I studied food and agriculture in college. And so I've just been slightly more privy to the conversation for a long time. So, I mean, I guess I haven't noticed as much, but then when I take a step back and I look now where kind of where from where I am, I, I, I see what you're, what you're saying and, and the, the head beating against the wall thing is, mm-hmm. is, is pretty obvious to me now. So why, what, what is it that's holding people back from this conversation? Well, you know, there's, there's the conventional nutrition community, which has its own issues. And then, you know, there's the real food community, like the paleo community and, and everybody else. Um, so, I mean, it's not sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, sustainability doesn't sell books, um, flat abs sell books right. and, you know, skinny people and <laughs> beautiful people. Um, so it, you know, it can be, um, it can be a challenge to try to talk about sustainability when, you know, people really want a picture of a paleo brownie on the cover of whatever right. they're going to buy. Um, so, you know, so for people who are, you know, motivated to, you know, be in this to make money, um, it's not a financially sustainable right. uh, avenue to go down. So I think that's part of it. Mm. Um, and then, you know, in my RD training, 
the, the sustainability is never brought up once. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in the, in, you know, you have to study, um, you know, a lot of food service, um, mm-hmm. in order to be an RD. So, um, so we had to take a lot of classes in like purchasing and things like that. And, you know, sustainability for in- institutional food systems is just not a topic that's no. covered at all. Mm-hmm. Like it's just all about the cheapness of it. And, you know, I see that even at the hospital I work at they're, they're, um, like right now in my clinical rotation, I'm at a hospital that still uses styrofoam. Oops. And I just, I mean, even, even from a marketing perspective that doesn't make sense like right. not not only like don't you even want to make it look like you care a little bit right. like to your customers um so it's it's just so far away from the conscious level of of any you know conventionally trained dietitian right what made you go down the rd path because uh, there was a point in my life where that was kind of at my crossroads you know i was studying food science and nutrition and i was you know also studying agricultural business and it was kind of like okay well what's next you know is it Mm -hmm. is it this path or that path and i you know then wasn't even as savvy about you know real food nutrition as i am now obviously i was still you know pretty pretty hung up on the traditional, you know, standard American diet recommendations. But Mm -hmm. even then I kind of felt like if I went down that RD path, I wasn't really sure that I would really be able to help anybody because I could already see, even though I didn't have the answer, I could kind of already see that it wasn't working, right? Like Mm -hmm. as a country, we were getting sicker and sicker and it just didn't seem like that's where the answers lied. So I'm really curious as to what, I mean, I feel like you're really brave for making that choice because <laughs> I, I, you know, I went into grad school and I studied um, dairy science, which I, I hated every minute of, but, you know, for different reasons. Um, and I just, I, if I think now about going back and getting my RD, I think I would have hated it equally as much just because ne- knowing what I know now, I would have been, you know, surrounded by people that are, you know, <laughs> spouting out all these things that I know to be untrue. Um, so how are you doing it and how <laughs> and why yeah. are you doing it? <laughs> so I've been interested in nutrition my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, as a kid, I was, um, you know, really just wanted to know the right answer on how to eat. My blood sugar um, regulation issues have always been a problem and my digestion was always a problem. So, um, and, you know, so undergrad, I did take a nutrition class um, and I just wasn't, it, it was just, it seemed so overwhelming and way too sciencey at the time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an art major and my my undergraduate life was pretty much about having a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so mine too. I just wasn't um, <laughs> in a place at the time to like be seriously academic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, I found out I had celiac disease in my mid 20s and really was like, oh my God, okay, I really have to learn more about nutrition um, I started working, um, for Whole Foods and, um, you know, thought, it, you know, I could maybe use my career, uh, you know, in marketing as a, as a vehicle for my interest in food. Uh, and then, and then I learned more about Weston A. Price. I went to Weston A. Price conference and I went up to Sally Fallon and said, you know, what, what can I do? I want to be a nutritionist. I want to learn more about nutrition. And she said, go get your RD. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm already so old. I can't do this. I can't go back to school. I can't, you know, that seems like so much work. Um, and and then I um, met Rob Wolf, who also said, go get your RD. Um, and so what I ended up doing was I um, went to the Nutritional Therapy Association first, mm-hmm. which was a really great primer in um, real food nutrition. So it was like a one-year program where it's basically just they teach you real food nutrition Um uh, not very heavy in science, and it's more just about sort of, you know, the basic principles mm-hmm. of how digestion works and why real food nutrition is the right answer. Um, I opened a practice and started seeing people as a nutritional therapist, but um, I kept seeing a lot of really sick people mm-hmm. and um, was feeling like I didn't really have um, all the tools in my toolbox to be able to help them clinically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wanted to be able to do that. I wanted to be able to take insurance mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, it just helps me reach a broader population. And I also wanted to um, have more credibility because there's just so many people walking around saying they're a nutritionist. I mean, anyone can say they're a nutritionist, mm-hmm. right? With with no degree. Right. Um, and so I, you know, I didn't want to be like that. I wanted to be 
I wanted to be recognized as a medical professional. Um, and so I, I reluctantly went back to school. I, um, I was lucky enough to have, um, Matt Lalonde. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. who he is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he and I became friends and I was able to, we worked out an agreement where I would trade him organ meats from our farm mm-hmm. in exchange for, um, knowledge and papers. That oh, I awesome. Yeah. So he would send me papers and also, he was very helpful and available to me um, as I was going through my program. You know, I would sit in the lecture and they would be talking about, you know, how to supplement with folic acid and <sighs> just text him like, this doesn't make sense. And he'd explain the right answer to me. So having somebody who you can talk to who um, can help you kind of weed through like the the information was certainly um, pivotal, like for me, mm-hmm. um, in order to get through the program. Um, but also, I think it was Matt who suggested to me too, like just do this as your side thing, like mm-hmm. have you know have your nutrition practice and do your work, and then this could just sort of like be your hobby, you know, getting your RD. Yeah, and so um, that was really really helpful too, because I think if I had done it full time, it would have been pretty miserable. And it's also I have a lot going on with. Um, you know, having kids that, right. needed, you know, I couldn't just be a full-time student. Um, so, uh, so now I'm just finishing. So I finished the coursework um, last spring mm-hmm. um, and it's been a challenge. It was a challenge all the way through the program. Um, most of the professors are obese vegans mm-hmm. <laughs> or vegetarians. Um, and so, you know, it's hard, you know, they're drinking their diet Coke and they've got their jelly wow. beans on their on their desk and they're telling me what to eat right. and, and that they're right. And, you know, everything in moderation. And everything. <laughs> it's like my least favorite saying on the planet needs to die. Um, <laughs> Even really moderation. Rough. Yeah. It's really rough. It was helpful to know like, you know, the biochemistry and all the hard sciences. Yeah. Like, you know, that was really, really good. Um, and then, uh, but and funny enough though, you don't get very much training as a therapist, like as mm-hmm. a, um, you know, I ended up taking a separate psychology class on counseling, um, and like motivational interviewing, because that's just, that wasn't one of the core classes, which I just think is way too bad. Yeah. Cause they just don't teach you that in the standard, um, RD program. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as I was applying for my internships, I ended up getting rejected with the 4.0. So, um, that was really crushing to me too, because, um, it's just, it's very hard to get an internship and my advisors, um, thought it was because, you know, they Googled me and saw the paleo books. Uh. Um, and I even had a lawyer reach out to me, um, who had heard about this and said, you know, you have a case for misrepresentation, fraud, you know, all this stuff, um, discrimination. Mm-hmm. And um and I was really really discouraged. So that was that was uh, last spring, um, but then I ended up finding an even better situation um, through another a distance program where I was able to line up all my own rotations. And um, so now I'm just finishing up. I'm working. I did some really cool community um, and outpatient work. Um, and actually, one of the women that I that I did my outpatient work with. Um, she and I started Real Food Radio mm-hmm. podcast together, and we're going to be doing some stuff together, and and hopefully one day even running our own internship for RDs. That's cool. That would be really fun. Um, and uh, and so yeah, so now I've been doing my um, my hospital rotation, and I actually just wrote a blog post about that, mm-hmm. like a, about being a real food nutritionist working in this crazy situation, you know, where we're dosing people with corn syrup and right. high fructose corn uh, with soybean oil and um, not really, really helping them very much, you know, nutritionally. <laughs> Jeez, being there for them is one thing, I guess. Yeah. Jeez, that's, so that's a harrowing tale. That's what I'm in the middle of doing now. So I've got a few months left. That's cool. I mean, I think, yeah, I think I can see that and I can see how just with the internet, I mean, the internet has changed everything, right? So I have to assume that there's at least a handful of other people out there. I mean, Rob Wolf has interviewed several RDs that have kind of woken up and come to kind of mid-education or or just post-education and kind of realized that everything they've been taught is, you know, questionable at best. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, I think there's definitely probably more people out there that, you know, are are probably going to, see a revolution of some kind, I hope. Um, 
because yeah, I mean, I mean, how amazing would that be if you can go on to foster this in other RDs and kind of spread the word that way. And it can be kind of a bottom up, um, up change, but yeah, I just, I can't, I can't foresee <laughs> like the, I love that description, the obese vegans and vegetarians with their diet Cokes and jelly beans. That's, that's what terrifies me um, yeah. more than anything. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm 42. Um, but the rest of the people in the program are, you know, mostly young, skinny girls uh, in their, you know, early twenties or even late teens in some of my classes. And yeah. they're just, they're just, sponges for Mm -hmm. all of the crazy outdated information and they're Mm -hmm. not questioning any of it. That's unfortunate. So that's really sad. So, so I, you know, when I advise people on, you know, I get, I get people all the time that are interested in real food and want to become a nutritionist. And I always advise them to, you know, learn about the real food first, because it's really hard to unlearn something. Mm -hmm. Like even my, my, my um, boss at the hospital, uh, she's, um, she's overweight and she's been on Weight Watchers forever and it's of course not working for her. And so I very softly, you know, day after day after day, just sort of, you know, said, you know, it's meat's not really all that bad and you might want to have more protein. You know, we're eating lunch together mm-hmm. and I'm telling this to a seasoned RD who's in her, um, early fifties. Right. Right. And, um, and now she's doing a whole 30 and it's blowing her mind. That's awesome. And she's just like, you're blowing my mind. I can't believe this is against everything I've ever been taught. And you were sent to me for a reason. And yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And she actually let me, um, one of the patients at the hospital, she, she let me encourage to do like a kind of a ketogenic type diet. Oh, that's um, awesome. For weight loss and wound healing. Yeah. So we'll see. That's incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, yeah, kudos to you for, for being brave enough to do that because I think I was, I was, I just couldn't see the the forest through the trees, I think at that, that point, cause there wasn't a lot of, I mean, paleo didn't really exist then. Um, but I think it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, there's small seeds of change, right. And that's, that's, that's something at least. And I think that that's gonna, I think it's gonna snowball. I hope it's gonna snowball and change. That's all I can really hope. Um, yeah. we'll see what happens when I actually have the credential and people, you know, see some of the things that I put out there and hopefully. Yeah. I mean, if anything, I think it's a positive way for you to, I mean, because I mean, if I know anything, it's that working within the medical community or knowing, you know, trying to have a conversation with anybody that's in the medical community is very difficult if you're not a credentialed medical professional. So, you know, it's almost like, you know, getting an inside pass to be able to start those conversations and, you know, hopefully have a little bit more influence where people who aren't necessarily certified, you know, won't have to have necessarily have that same opportunity or, you Mm -hmm. know, be provided with as many opportunities to to have that conversation with other medical professionals. So, you know, for example, just that conversation with your boss and being able to influence that way, um, because there's a different level of respect, I think, among, you know, from medical professional to medical professional than there is any other way. Because I think, you know, ego is a big big issue in, in, in the medical community. So, so Mm -hmm. I think that'll, hopefully that will, that will serve you well as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. So what does it look like? I mean, in real life, this kind of marriage of, of real food eating and sustainability and, how do, how do, how does a, like a traditional family, cause you know, we're kind of on the cusp, we're house hunting right now. We're looking for, you know, a, a home with at least enough room to, to garden and have some chickens. And, you know, I just want Ivy, my daughters to, to be able to, to go outside without, you know, fear and wander and explore and, you know, dig in the dirt and play and, and all of that. Um, but I know not everybody has that opportunity or, or can do that. And I know also that, I, you know, I've lived in very small apartments and been able to grow some of my own food. So I know it's possible on a lot of different levels. But I guess my question is more specifically, like, for a family starting out and, you know, maybe they're in the beginning of their paleo life and they're figuring out how to feed their family and um, how do we make sustainability part of that conversation from the beginning as opposed to, um, you know, trying to weave it in later, like, oh, I'll just worry about changing my habits now and then sustainable sustainability later. Is there a way that we can have that those conversations together or make them one in the same from the beginning? 
Well, I think that um, for a lot of families that, you know, get into real food, it's sort of a natural progression, right? Mm -hmm. Like first you start cooking from scratch and then, you know, you realize that the meat you're buying at the grocery store stinks and you want to find a cow share or, you know, you want to start buying your meat from a farmer's market. So, um, you know, there's lots of things that I think everyone can do at every level. Um, and in the, um, my book, the homegrown paleo cookbook, mm -hmm. I sort of take people through that steps, those steps. So even though, you know, I have, it's a full manual for like actually raising your own, you know, chickens mm -hmm. and, um, sheep and cow, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I also talk about container gardening and the importance of community gardens. Um, so, I mean, even if you live in an urban area, there's community gardens, which are, absolutely fantastic right. works of art, in my opinion, um, not only just visually, but, you know, you get great food. And then the, there's that whole community aspect of, you know, connecting with people that you, you know, don't fit within your, you know, we're so, um, we're so, I don't even know what the word is. All of our, all of our friendships are now, you know, like we only want to talk to people who have our same political views. We right. only, you know, you know, we're so tailored in our Facebook, um, lives, right. With exactly with only, you know, communicating with people who are exactly like us. And I think that's a real shame. Um, and so that's one of the great things that, you know, community gardens can do is you're, you might have a garden plot next to a guy that, you know, just got here from Cambodia, right? right <laughs> he was right. growing all kinds of really cool Asian greens and stuff. Um, so, so community gardens are, are just to me, one of the, one of the best things, um, or, you know, just finding a farm and doing a work for share at a farm. Um, so we have some families that, you know, instead of paying for their CSA share, um, which is also great, they, mm -hmm. you know, paying, you know, cause they come, we, we, um, you know, I know a lot in, in, on the West coast, uh, it's more like delivered box shares, but we really believe that people should come to the farm and have a connection with us. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're out there in the field, you know, the, the crew is out there in the fields, in, um, available to talk to people while they're picking their cherry tomatoes. Um, and so they can connect with the farmers that way. The kids get to, you know, see what a strawberry tastes like warm straight from the plant. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, just having that, that time out on a farm and, and, you know, the, the, the community really feels like the art that the farm we're at is their farm. Mm -hmm. Um, and they want to know, you know, like through our newsletter, um, you know, when we write about how there's been, you know, we've had some issues with foxes or coyotes or, you know, whatever, like, you know, we'll, we'll be out at a restaurant. They'll be like, you know, what's going on with that coyote? Did you catch it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so even if, you know, they have, they don't have chickens or, or even a backyard garden, they have a connection to, um, you know, their local growers that, yeah. that you know, um, so we're really big into, you know, education programs. We work with the local school and make sure these kids come here um, on a regular basis to see like sheep sharing or, you know, whatever, whatever the topic is that we're doing. Um, and not just to turn them into farmers, but, right. um, you know, to turn them into farm lovers so that when they go off and be doctors and lawyers and whatever these uh, kids in our wealthy community are going to go off and do, um, they're going to be much more likely to have respect for, you know, keeping um, regional agriculture projects going mm -hmm. instead of being turned into development. Cause that's really the biggest issue that, um, that small farms face is, is, you know, like the land that we're on right now is worth so much more if it was condos. Right. So just trying to maintain these small farms that are in communities um, is really is really the most important thing. Mm. Interesting. So if I was to, I mean, what are some really like simple ways? I mean, I, the community garden is a great one. I definitely encourage people mm -hmm. to look and see, even if they do have gardening space. I think you know you can always have like if you have gardening knowledge or you you know are, are a seasoned gardener, check out the community garden or get involved because I think you can you have something to lend there as well. Mm -hmm. But um, always check out the community garden. But what about I mean, so if I'm an, like for practitioners particularly who are out there recommending these people eat really clean meat and or fine grass fed meat, whatever, at whatever cost, basically, um, I feel like there can easily become a disconnect between just finding this product and, um, you know, in order to improve your health, and really taking the time to kind of source out, you know, 
um, food that comes from things that you really believe in, because I know, you know, granted, there's always situations where people are kind of in the middle of nowhere, and they don't necessarily have access to, um, you know, really good quality meats or produce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they need to order from like, you know, for example, like an online company or, um, and have things delivered. But for people who who do, I mean, what are, I guess, what's the best way to kind of to figure that out? Like, what's the best source? Because I think a lot of times it's confusing. Um, you know, people are like, oh, I, I only want local meat. And I don't think that that's necessarily always the most sustainable answer. Because if you live like, for example, I live in California, and we've have the major drought problems and um, grass fed beef is not something that would really really works everywhere in California. So I would actually be more concerned if I was getting grass fed meat from somebody down the road, because I think it's probably more sustainable for me to get it from a farm, maybe a little bit farther away where they're actually employing really good practices in raising their meat. Um, Mm. So I guess I'm just wondering what's the best way for people to figure out, um, you know, how to source the best products for, for, for them where they are. Um, you know, it's tricky because I'm really in support of, you know, regional food systems and, mm-hmm. and not so much the shipped meat um, right. or, or the, you know, driving long distances to get your meat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, finding local growers, there's a great website called eatwild.com mm-hmm. um, that can connect people with, um, you know, really good growers and, and, um, and people who raise um, sustainable meats. Um, you know, CAFO beef is, you know, on the scale of things, um, honestly, not as bad as CAFO chicken or CAFO pork. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, there, there's just all these different levels of, I guess, your holiness, right? Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Right. So like for us, you know, we've got our freezers full of meat, you know, that we raised and then, you know, a cow share. We don't raise cows, but I have buy a cow share and we've got all that. We've Mm -hmm. got all our produce, you know, here right from the farm. Um, So I I tend not to buy a lot when I go to the grocery store, like, Mm -hmm. you know, just pretty much just staples for the pantry that I like spaghetti sauce or something like Mm -hmm. that. Um, So I, you know, farmer's markets, um, for produce um, and and meat if it's available there. And then just talking to the growers and finding out a little bit more about how they raise their animals, maybe visiting the farm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's, it's tricky. Um, But I would say, you know, there's definitely like layers. I'm, I'm picturing something visual that I need to develop, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, where, you know, basically, you know, the worst offenders in my mind are cafo chicken and cafo pork Mm. um, because those animals never see the light of day ever. Right. um, And they're only fed monocropped GMO grain. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, the, the conditions are terrible for the animals. Um, You know, antibiotic uh, use is really high. So you get these super bug um, resistant bacteria that are really horrible um, for our whole society. Um, But at least the cattle, most cattle are raised, even CAFO cattle are raised outdoors. Right. Um, Can you, can you describe what CAFO is for people that don't know? Oh, sure. Um, so it's um, it's the big factory farms. Right. So it's the confined um, animal feeding operations. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's what everyone envisions when they see you know or all these like you know anti meat documentaries where mm-hmm. they tell you the meat is so awful. They only <laughs> focus on cafos and they right. never show um, a small sustainable farm right. like where we live. So um, so but a cattle uh, a, a cow um, for beef spends most of its life out on grass mm-hmm. and only goes to the feeding lot towards the end of its life. And still when it's at the feeding lot, it's at least outside. Right. So, you know, it's not black and white. Um, right. There's definite gray areas. And um, Nicolette Nyman's book, Defending Beef is really fantastic at illustrating, at illustrating that. Um, and I had a really good interview with her on, on the modern farm girls podcast that oh, cool. I do. Uh, so may, I don't know. In your sh- if you have show notes, you could maybe link to that. Yeah, one. definitely link to that. Um, so uh, so you know, and also killing one cow versus killing you know thirty chickens to feed your family. You know, like so. There's all these different you know 
again, there's just different levels, right? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, do we really, you know, is organic spinach the best if it's grown, you know, on the other side of the country from where you live and, you know, in a monocrop type situation or, you know, maybe, you know, if your farmer up the street grows really fresh spinach and, you know, if they use a little bit of, you know, spray occasionally, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe, maybe the local's better. So it's really kind of, um, putting on your thinking cap and, and, you know, trying to make the best decisions for your family mm-hmm. that's, um, that's instead advice. of just sort of trusting labels and, and, and big industry to tell you what's right. best. Yeah. Cause that's worked out really well for us in the past. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, you know, you know, it's like chickens eat, eat, birds eat seeds, right? So, mm-hmm. so chickens who, you know, I know that there's farmers that raise their chickens completely on pasture with no grain at all. Mm-hmm. But um, chickens actually do pretty well um, with some grain because that's what works for the animal of a chicken, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their digestive system. And so, you know, if your farmer up the street gives them a little bit of non-organic grain, but the chickens are outside, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the, the chickens are happy and the <laughs> Farmers doing a good job at keeping the place clean, you know, those are probably going to be better than, you know, maybe what your perception of an ideal chicken is. And the same goes with pigs. Mm -hmm. Um, Pigs actually do pretty well converting grain to flesh. And um, so we do a mix of, you know, they get forage from the farm and, and, you know, spent vegetables, but they also get some grain. Mm -hmm. Um, And we we have been able to find an organic non-soy grain, but that's not a reality for a lot of farmers. Um, So, you know, but it's still so much better than than a pig raised in a CAFO. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of making, figuring out your kind of your hierarchy of priorities in terms of, <laughs> of all of that. And then weighing them, weighing them carefully, which I think, you know, is again, I think you, you, it comes kind of with the territory and I think it happens over time. So I don't think that anybody should be daunted by this conversation thinking, Oh, I just <laughs> wanted to go paleo. Now I have to learn all of this stuff about yeah. <laughs> CAFO well, farms. I know. And I, I know that what works for a lot of people is yes, this, no, that, mm-hmm. right. Like that's why like the whole 30 just works. Yes, for, exactly. For so many people, right. Cause they yeah. just say yes or no. Right. Um, but you know, in my mind, you know, having a little polenta once in a while instead of, you know, a paleo cupcake every day. Right. I'd rather have a little polenta. So yeah. it's just, that's just where I'm at um, with all that stuff. <laughs> I just, you know, not to me, everything is sort of just on, on um, scales. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's important to have those conversations too, especially when you're starting out, because I think it's very easy to pick up a book and, and, you know, see what's available in that paleo cookbook and be like, oh, I get to have, you know, all of these things. I'm like, well, yeah, sure, you can eat those things. But is that is that any different than where you're coming from? Like, what what are you actually changing here in the big scheme of things in terms of your health and, and trying to get well if you're if you're going to also, yeah, like you said, eat a paleo cupcake every day on top of your everything. So yeah, I think it's important. I mean, also, it's the responsible I mean, if you're going to to make this change for your health and for the health of your family, then I think, you know, having as much information as possible is probably a good thing. Whether or not you act on all of it at once is, Mm -hmm. you know, up to you, I guess. But I think, yeah, looking at it in terms of, okay, this is the big picture. How do I, how do I make all of these changes instead of just picking and choosing what's convenient for me? Because I don't think that that's the answer. Um, And I, I think that people will, and I hope that people will, just naturally make that progression because I think one thing leads to another. Like once you start to feel better and your brain frog is lifted and you have more energy and you can, you know, dedicate a little bit more brain space to some of this stuff. I think, I think you almost feel, at least I did anyways, like I owed something back to (laughs) the diet. Like I owed something back to this way of life that kind of helped me and my family feel so much better and, and perform so much better. Um, and I think that's kind of what's driven, you know, my husband and I to start the business that we have and kind of also try to help other people is because I feel like we, we owe so much to it. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm interested to see how, you know, the sustainable converse, the sustainability conversation grows. And I mean, I'm hopeful that part of it is, is demand driven. Like I hope that, I hope that things start to change naturally as well, just in the market, just because people are demanding, you know, 
demanding more sustainability from the people that are, you know, producing our food and raising our food as well. So hopefully there's some natural market forces that, that help us as well. We'll see. Well, yeah. So all that thinking stuff that I was talking about and probably boring your listeners about um, <laughs> is is why I wrote the um, Homegrown Paleo Cookbook mm-hmm. the way I did because I wanted people to understand, you know, this is how chickens are raised. This is how, you know, a farmer does it. Right. So, um, so now you're empowered, even if you're not going to raise your own chickens, to go, Ask the you know, when you visit a farm mm-hmm. and you know, what, here's what to look for. Yeah. I think that's great. And it's a beautiful book. I definitely recommend that people pick it up because it's, I mean, the pictures are beautiful. I think it's, I can't wait to be able to actually put it to use (laughs) when we, (laughs) when we have some space, because I think it was, um, it's, it's a beautifully, beautifully done book. And I think it was a, a, a much needed book as well. So I'm glad that you, that you did it because I think if, I think it at least puts an idea in people's head, like, oh, I can I can do this for myself. I don't just have to rely on, you know, these paleo outlets to get my paleo life. I can make my own paleo life, and that's mm-hmm. actually probably more paleo than anything. <laughs> yeah, and so and I always recommend, you know, when I when I'm putting my nutrition hat on, that mm-hmm. people just fix themselves first and right. like don't stress about, um, you know, my God, is this beef, you know, kissed by unicorns, right? <laughs> like, um, so like doing like, a you know, whether it's, you know, the 30 day prescription in the paleo solution mm-hmm. or, a, you know, a whole 30 or what, you know, whatever kind of clean elimination, you know, diet, I always recommend people, um, do that. And, you know, and some of the people that I work with, you know, they're not ready yet to do that and that's okay too. So, you know, we work on, okay, let's try just cooking everything (laughs) at home, you know, and let's get off the case of diet Coke and the McDonald's three times a week. Um, and you know, so we eventually we get there to a, to an elimination type diet. Um, and then once you're there, you know, you can start thinking about, okay, you know, do I really want to buy my steak at the grocery store or not? You know, so, Mm -hmm. so it's really just a, um, you know, starting, starting with yourself first. Yeah. What about kids? I mean, Mm -hmm. you transition when your kids were either, you know, before they were born or when they were really, really young. So have, have you figured out, you know, this is something that I'm trying to learn and your kids go to school. So Mm -hmm. I'm planning on homeschooling Ivy at least for a while, but Mm -hmm. Um, my husband's biggest concern, even since I was pregnant, was like, what do we do when she's out in the wild? And, mm-hmm. you know, how do we, yeah. you know, keep this going? And or also, I'm just thinking of just interacting with other parents and other kids as I you mm-hmm. know, join homeschool groups or take mm-hmm. her out on, you know, to other like outdoor school and things like that. How do I approach this in a healthy way without, mm-hmm. you know, creating a you know, any kind of weird food issues with her. Mm-hmm. And also yeah. just also, I, I want to encourage people through our interactions with, with this lifestyle. And I don't mm-hmm. want to just, you know, be that weird mom who says, no, my kid can't have all of these things. You know, please mm-hmm. don't feed my child kind of. <laughs> and mom, yeah. I, I would much rather encourage positive conversation and, and, um, you know, in, inclusion instead of exclusion for Ivy and for other kids. Mm-hmm. But do you have any tips and suggestions on that? Yeah, a lot. Um, well, so I, I went paleo. Um, so our house is Mm gluten-free and it's been gluten-free. It's always gluten-free, um, just because of the celiac and cross-contamination and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, but I didn't go paleo until my kids were already born. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, when I first did, I was sort of a Nazi about it. Um, and like, no, you can't have, you know, any candy ever, you know, um, and I think a lot of people, that's sort of a natural um, reaction, you mm-hmm. know, when you when you first go paleo. And, um, you know, and then I noticed in my son's closet, like hidden between his pants were like wrappers. Uh-oh. And I was like, oh, my God, candy wrappers. Um, you know, what am I doing? I don't want him like, seek, you know, hiding yeah. food. And, you know, so I was, you know, I've really dealt with this. Um, and I decided to chill out. And let the kids, you know, make their way on their own and just try to be, um, you know, as good as we can at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I I always stress the importance of having, you know, protein and fat with our meals. So, mm-hmm. you know, the kids don't, you know, have, you know, just some kind of sugar. And it's funny because actually yesterday my daughter, who's um, in fourth grade, 
um, caught in a little argument in her school because they were comparing whose breakfast was healthier. And everyone in the class, including the teachers, said that little Johnny's fruit smoothie with only fruit in it was healthier than my daughter's um, sausage and eggs for breakfast. Wow. And she was like, Mom, you know, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's it's hard yeah. because it's just so embedded in our society. Fruit is good and fat is bad. Yeah. Um, and I can't imagine what would happen if I sent my kids to school on pure sugar, right? Yeah. I mean, and she and and she said it wasn't sugar, mom, it was fruit. And I said, Yeah, but fruit is sugar. Mm-hmm. And you know, and and so she she kind of gets it. She knows that I'm right, but she she's not able to articulate it, and it is a little stressful for her. Right. Um, I I do let them get school lunch occasionally. Um, they don't react to gluten. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we we don't feed them gluten all the time, but um, we also sell to the school, and you know, and I they know that school lunch is um a treat and it's junk food <laughs> pretty much. You know. Yeah. Um, and when they're at their friends' houses, they can eat whatever. And I usually get reports from every play date, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, mom, you should have saw like, what so-and-so was, you know, what they had in their cabinets or whatever. Right. Um, but they, we also try to, um, point out how they feel like, um, you know, my son loves, um, baseball. He's a huge athlete. And, um, and so, you know, when he's had not enough, um, fat and, and protein, uh, before practice, he just doesn't perform well. And we're, and he gets it. He mm-hmm. really understands it now. And he actually doesn't even do sleepovers, um, because he just doesn't sleep well at other kids' houses. And, and he's just realized that, you know, he does much better if he just sleeps at home and mm. he, he needs a lot of good quality sleep. So that's another, you know, piece to this whole paleo lifestyle yeah. is just sort of teaching your kids, okay, this is how you're going to feel best. This is optimal you can make your own choices when you're outside but these are the ramifications of them and you know i feel good about that because i I, i've had them both tested for celiac um and they're both negative and um and i think you know they do very well now um you know and you know uh halloween is a little tricky to navigate you know (laughs) Um, because they want to dig into their candy like right away. And, you know, so, you know, we've, we've come up with a lot of good solutions like, okay, you can have a few pieces of the candy and then the rest goes. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, by being a little bit more moderate and, um, relaxing a little bit and, and, um, trying to point to them sort of the nutritional values of certain foods, you know, like this is going to help you run faster. This is going to build muscle for you and just constantly doing that at every meal. Mm-hmm. They're, they're much more informed instead of like, my mom won't let me eat that. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's probably part of it is, you know, taking the wool, like removing the wool from the eyes, not just trying to snow them and like, you know, be authoritarian about it and have, you know, yes versus no, you know, really understanding the why is, mm-hmm. is probably a really important piece of that. Yeah. But also I have to add in my community, not a lot of people know what I do. Mm. Um, so I keep it kind of quiet. Um, right. And so some of them know I do nutrition or wrote a cookbook, but they don't really know. Mm. Um, and so I, which is better because I, it, I don't want to go to, you know, sports practice and have to defend myself like at every single, you know, I just want to sit there and watch a game. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely yeah. difficult to try to figure out which battles are the right battles are the right battles to fight and things like that. But, um, I have, we went, um, we go to this really great natural foods market. Um, and the, the butcher there is, is fabulous. He's done a really great job of getting grass fed meats into the store. So they're more available to everybody else. And, um, he'll, he'll get things specifically, you know, really does a really good job sourcing things and, um, become a really good family friend of ours. And one of his assistants or apprentice was um, coming back from his lunch break and he had a, a sandwich in his hand and it had meatballs on it. And I could see, and, and Ivy, Ivy asked him, she goes, what's that? And he goes, oh, it's, it's a meatball sandwich. And she looks at me and she looks at him and she goes, have gluten in it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just cracking up. So I think she's two. <laughs> yeah. But if she sees something she doesn't recognize or isn't familiar with, she kind of, she's already making that connection that maybe it's something that we don't eat or for maybe there's a reason that we don't eat it. And apparently she's lobbed on to that um, gluten thing pretty quickly. So <laughs> it's just really interesting to watch how it, 
how it manifests. And um, I'm trying really hard to just kind of stand back and, and see and see what happens and, and take each, each new challenge as it comes without freaking out yeah. about it. Cause it's a long road ahead of us. Um, yeah. It was definitely easier when I controlled everything. I mean, I made all their ba- baby food mm-hmm. from scratch and um, when they were little and controlled everything, you know, right. until they kind of got to school and, and play dates and things like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that's the best that you I mean when at the end of the day, that's the recommendation, right? You do the best that you can and, and hope for the best and, and, you know, teach them well and hopefully they make good choices. And more than anything, I think it's that, that connection, that understanding or that ability, like with your son to be able to recognize how what you're eating or doing makes you feel. And I think that's the greatest gift that we can give our kids because, you know, all of the adults that I work with, they still don't have the ability to make that connection. They've never been taught (laughs) that, right? So even just having that that ability for a two-year-old or, you know, a 12-year-old is, I think, a huge step up in the world. Like, even if they do make some poor choices, like their their um, intuition or their ability to say, hey, I ate that and now I feel like crap, I think that's a gift that, you know, if, if I give her nothing else, I think that's a huge a huge win um, as a parent <laughs> who's, you know, trying to coach someone towards a healthier life and, and making solid choices. So, so thank you for those tips. That was, that's really helpful. And it's always just nice to hear another parent that's gone through it and know that it's, <laughs> it's not all horrible. <laughs> yeah. When I um, first met Michelle Tam, mm-hmm. um, who uh, runs a blog, Non-Mom Paleo, yeah. she and I immediately connected and, um, and we've gone on family trips together and, and um, she raises her kids the same way. Yeah. Um, as far as food goes. So, um, it, you know, I think it's, it's the reasonable, (laughs) it's the reasonable path. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, if you just ask yourself, like, what would you want? Right. Like I just, I'd want to be empowered to make my own choices. And I, I wasn't even nearly as close to as independent and headstrong as my daughter is. So, um, I can only imagine that like, if I just, if I respect her in that way and let her be her own person and make her own choices, I think she'll, she's more likely to do what I'm hoping she does as opposed to if I, if I take the authoritarian approach and just do the, no, you can't, um, yeah. <laughs> way of thinking. So yeah. awesome. Well, this has been, it's been really great chatting with you. I'm sure we could talk about a million other things for several more hours, but, um, I really encourage everybody to go check out um, your your Sustainable Dish website. You can link to, to a lot of the um, amazing things that you're doing through there, inc- inc- including your really beautiful cookbooks, um, Homegrown Paleo. And another really useful one that I, I recommend um, a lot is the um, Paleo Lunches and Breakfasts on the Go. I think that's another great cookbook that people should, should check out. Um, anything else that you're working on that you, you want us to know about or you want people to check out? Um, where people uh, can get a hold of you. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, you know, once I'm done with my RD program, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'll be much more of a, like a full-time practitioner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm just trying to figure out like my office space now and what things are going to look like and, you know, possible website redesign and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So, um, so at the moment, yeah, I'm just focusing right now on finishing this RD mm-hmm. and getting it behind me so I can, you know, actually get out there and help people on a more full-time basis. Cause I've been, I've been sort of doing it part-time, um, which has been great education too. Mm-hmm. Like just learning so much about how people change, you know, through actually working with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I've got another book in me down the road, awesome. um, probably focusing a little bit more on sustainability, um, but for now, yeah, I'm just um, finishing up the credential and um, and going to focus more on my practice as a nutritionist. Awesome. Well, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. We're all better for it. So I appreciate what you do. And I hope we get to chat again um, sometime soon. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. We'll take care, Diana. Thanks. <laughs>